within six months, we hit 100,000 followers. And that really taught me the ropes of Instagram. Elise Dharma is a marketing coach who specializes in helping not-so-insta-famous business people make real revenue directly from social media in a way that is bearable and efficient. She's helped over 30,000 people truly grow their businesses, sell more programs, and build money-making brands. And today, she reveals exactly how she did it for herself, step by step. So the summer of 2016, I took all my travel photos, my stories, I started sharing them and posting them consistently. And that summer, we I collected over 30,000 followers, which was crazy. In this interview, you will get on a roller coaster through the ups and downs of growing a business based on social media presence alone. And Elise shares with us the vulnerable details that you won't see in any of her posts. Now, we had to cut the interview down for the podcast, but I kept the full interview inside our uncut vault, available only to our TGP insiders. In the full version, Elise shares what it was like growing up as the only girl with three brothers, what her four formative years were truly like and the heartbreaking circumstances around her starting her first solo journey into social media stardom. Become a TGP insider today and get the full story at theglobalphenomenon.com slash insider. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts while you're going for a meditative walk, Thank you for taking us with you. Make sure to binge on the latest solo episode as well, the one right before this one, and learn a thing or two about this crazy coaching world and how to monetize your small audience. And please head over to the review section and leave us a five-star review and say something nice. It really helps support the show. And thanks. Here's my interview with social media master, Elise Dharma. Welcome to The Global Phenomenon, the podcast about online coaching, the inspiring new career that has taken the world by storm, creating multiple self-made millionaires and opening the doors for regular folks like you and me to achieve our wildest dreams. Hi, my name is Ina Coveney, six-figure entrepreneur and business coach for online coaches ready to live a rich, passionate, and abundant life without regrets. And I'm on a mission to uncover the secret sauce that made the top coaches in our industry rise to global phenomenon status so that you can be next. Today's episode begins now. Today, I have the amazing pleasure of interviewing Elise Dharma. Hi, Elise. It's so nice to see you. Thank you so much for coming on. Hi, Ina. It's great to be here. I'm really excited to chat with you today about all things well, we'll see. We'll see what you have up your sleeve. <laughs> oh, yeah. We got some stuff. So before we get started, why don't you tell everybody really quickly, what is it that you do right now and who do you do it for? Good question. I am an Instagram educator and strategist for small business owners, and I help them make real sales from social media back to their coaching services or product-based business. And I specialize in helping people who are not Insta famous. So generally my students have less than a thousand followers and they're able to make five figures or more all from Instagram and social media platforms. Small audiences, you're speaking my language. That's all I talk about all day long is profitability of small audiences. So I love this already. I, I always like to go back 
way in the beginning to kind of get to know you better. So can you tell us where you grew up and what was a little Elise like growing up? I was born in Vancouver, Canada. So I grew up in the suburbs just outside of Vancouver. And I was one daughter with three brothers. So the only girl in my family. Um, I grew up in a fairly conservative Christian uh, family. And so there was a lot of tradition and a lot of stability and community and consistency, I would say, in terms of where we lived and my routine in life. And yeah, it was a great upbringing. It was a great childhood. Um, my parents were were young when they got together and had kids. So looking back, I can't believe they were 20 somethings with four kids. Now that I'm in my mid thirties, it's just hard to believe like that they did that um, as young adults and just how challenging that might've been. <laughs> I'm speaking from experience today at 36 and I'm uh, about to have my first baby. So I've, I've done a uh, complete opposite. Um, but I had a great upbringing with young parents who were fun, energetic, active. Um, we our, our our idea of a vacation would be taking the van and driving from BC to Alberta through the Rocky mountains and visiting family, like nothing too crazy, nothing too fancy, but it was all, always a good adventure. You had mentioned that your parents were pretty conservative and religious, but also they met in a Contiki tour themselves. So can you tell us a little bit like, how do you reconcile that? Like really fun loving parents who were risk takers, like who's out there traveling the world? And before actually continue, can you please tell everybody what a Contiki tour is? Yes. Uh, Kentucky is a travel company that started, I believe, in the 70s um, from a New Zealander who just rented a big, um, big like Volkswagen van and would drive around Europe. And then that became tours of Europe. And then when my parents took a Kentucky tour in, I think it would have been 1982, I want to say. So the early 1980s, that's when they first met. So my dad is European, but he grew up in Australia. And then my mom's Canadian. So they met on this six-week tour of Europe. And I don't know what happened on that trip. You know, like the 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 classic Kentucky perception is that it's basically a party trip, party bus. Mm -hmm. And they were both fairly you know, my dad came from like a strong Catholic upbringing. My mom had her Christian upbringing. So I'm not sure exactly what happened on that trip, but they, um, they met and they fell in love in those six weeks and they were both really young. I think my mom was 17 and my dad was 20. And mm -hmm. six months later after that trip, my dad flew out to Canada to visit my mom for Christmas. And then he just didn't go back to Australia. He stayed yeah. and then they were married the, the following summer. Um, wow. So yeah, they, they met and were married within a year. And um, I like to say I'm a byproduct of Kentucky. I went on my own Kentucky trip. I worked for the company. Like I definitely had my Kentucky obsession, which was a big, big part of my, it fueled a lot of my desire for travel for sure. Knowing that my parents met on a Kentucky and then I went on one and then it just opened my whole world up to what was what was out there. Yeah. And, and I just think that's amazing because when somebody says religious, conservative, we're not thinking 
party tours of Europe, right? Um, so that's really unique parents. What was your relationship like with your parents back then when you were a teenager? When I was a teenager, I was really focused on being as good of a daughter, as good of a student as I could possibly be. I was really ambitious. I was like working from a really young age. When I was 13, I started my own piano teaching business because my mom had been a piano teacher. She taught me. And I knew that when I got to a certain level of the Royal Conservatory of Music um, books that I was learning from, I knew that when I got to, I think it was grade seven or grade eight of Royal Conservatory, I could then teach beginners. So I started that when I was 13, like I was just always ready to grow up. And then when I got to university, I kind of, I kind of burned out actually. Like I went so hard in, in, in high school that uh, once I got to university, I, it was a whole new system to learn. And I kind of started dropping out of classes and I started getting C's and I, I just felt like, wow, I'm wasting my time and money now. So that's when I knew I needed a break for sure. Before we get there, so as an entrepreneur, we all work on our own limiting beliefs and where they came from in our mindset. Have you done some analysis to see like, why were you so driven to get A's and to be perfect? Yeah, I have done some reflection and some therapy in my 20s and 30s to help myself understand where that came from. Because I just thought it was my personality and my nature, but I do think that a large part of it was um, the the culture that I was raised in. I mean, just being in a big family, I felt like perhaps in order to stand out, um, that I needed to be the perfect child or not be a problem child in order to, you know, to to be seen right, like amongst four kids. And I think it was also reflective of the religion that I was raised in as well. Um, where you are encouraged to be the best you possibly can be, um, choose the right path and, you know, be as perfect as, as you possibly can be. That's also ingrained in that culture. Um, I wouldn't say that there was a sense of competition because, you know, in that religion, you have your um, peers who are your age. And so you, you kind of measure yourself against where they're at versus where you're at. And you know that this is the goal. Like, you know what path you're supposed to be on. So, so there was always a path. Like there was always something to strive towards. And I really latched onto that concept. Some of my brothers did not, they did not care for it whatsoever. Some of my peers did not care for it whatsoever, but I really liked the concept of, Oh, all I have to do is a, and then I get B. Okay. Like, it removes so many questions, right? It just makes it super clear. And um, it, yeah, it just really worked for me. Like I, I use that same mindset to figure out the school system. Like if I do this, then I get a straight A on my report card. Okay. Or, or you know, so it just following the system, it really worked for me my personality. And then once I left high school, that's when I didn't want that anymore. Do you think that I'm trying to figure out where the burnout came in. So if, you know, if it was 
And not that things are so simple because we're human beings that are very complex that make decisions in a very complex way for many, many different reasons. Um, but I'm here thinking you know, once, once that independence was achieved, once you, once you got there, what do you think made you kind of like shrink back? Where, where did the motivation go? Where did the, where did the drive go? Was there, you, you went down a path that clearly was not for you because there was something else for you, but you didn't know that at the time. Where do you think that burnout came from? I think that I just was so motivated to achieve in my teen years that I didn't have enough time and energy as much as I wanted to, to have fun, like just to be a teenager, right. And just to be mm -hmm. someone who could be carefree without responsibility. Once I got to university, it, it just felt like I was in this center point and I had literally a million paths surrounding me and I could go in any one direction. And it was very overwhelming. And I think that's when the burnout happened. I was just kind of sick of being responsible. I was tired of always go, go, going. And, you know, that Kentucky trip that I took, I know we were joking about that, but right at the end of high school, I finished my last exam. The next day I got on a plane to London and I went by myself and I took this 30 day Kentucky trip. That was actually a pivotal moment for me because it was the first time that I could just be free. Like I was on vacation I was an adult or I could be anyone who I wanted to be. That was the other thing. I didn't have to be like the perfect straight A student. I didn't have to be the religious girl. I was already kind of leaving um, the, the religion mentally at that time. So just having that ability to be totally free on this trip, it was so liberating. And it was like this crazy high on life that I'd never, ever experienced. And when I got back from that trip, I was not the same. And that was the mindset and the mentality I had when I went into university. I knew I was different. I was changed. And I just wanted to do more of the travels, have more fun. Like it really let me experience what that was like. And so it became very hard to focus in on caring about figuring out the university system, figuring out what to do with my life. Like all of that just became so overwhelming that I did two years of university and then I basically dropped out. We're actually going to be skipping ahead a little bit because after you leave, um, you know, business school, you actually go into real estate, right? And then the recession happens. Like, okay, now I need to figure out a new thing to do. And you went back to school for journalism. And uh, I, and during that time, you start working for a tech startup. At the tech startup is where the first idea comes up of you getting into doing some social media. And at the time, like what year are we talking about when, when you first start actually doing social media work for this company? This was 2010. And so it was a job where I got to work for the university that I went to. This was my third university and I was really trying to just finish a degree, but I got a part-time student job for the university working in what was their tech incubator. So it was a new yeah. part of the university and I was hired as their social media marketer and in 2010 that basically meant running their Twitter and Facebook page right so when did Instagram come in yes Instagram is what changed the game so it was about 2012 
when I created an account and no, had no followers, had no idea, didn't really know much about photography. So I think my first photo was um, me and some coworkers wearing fake mustaches because it was November and who cares? No one's following me. You know, you just posted whatever. But being in that space of entrepreneurs and startups in 2013, a friend of mine who was an entrepreneur with a company in that space, he approached me and he said, hey, Elise, you know social media, right? You do social media for this incubator. Do you know of a marketing rock star who I could hire because I, I want someone to take over my Instagram account? And leading up to that question, I had already read The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. I was already thinking like, yeah, I don't want to just have two weeks vacation. I really want to have freedom to, to be traveling, to be in Bali. You know, I read Eat, Pray, Love. Bali sounded amazing. Mm -hmm. So the, the wheels were turning. I was just trying to figure out what kind of business I could start. And when he asked me for a recommendation, that's when I realized, oh, I could say my name. And I told him, actually, I'm looking to take on clients, you know, freelance on the side of my day job. And so a week later, we had a contract signed. I was hired to do social media marketing, especially running his Instagram account because uh, his company was a e-commerce clothing company targeted towards teenagers. So Instagram was the perfect platform for his company to be on and was growing really fast because influencer marketing was really new then. So a big part of my job was reaching out to other teen influencers, sending them free product and having them wear the product and post it and promote it. So within six months, we hit a hundred thousand followers and that really taught me the ropes of Instagram. I also was managing and creating his email newsletters and doing some website work and, and all that stuff. So just like doing a, a bunch of marketing related activities, but by taking on that first client, it opened up the door to taking on more clients. So for about eight months, I was doing both my full-time day job and my clients. So I was working a couple nights a week as well as weekends in order to juggle it all. And I loved it. Um, and then eight, nine months into doing both jobs, a client asked for me to work for them two days a week. So I had to have quit my job in order to take them on. And then that was my fork in the road decision. So I ultimately did quit and took on this next client. So I had about five clients by the time I was running my business full-time in 2014. And by then you're going around and traveling the world and doing your thing on your own. Um, what do you think was the hardest thing about taking on that travel lifestyle with your business? It was unexpectedly lonely. I wasn't prepared for that by leaving the network that I had of my job. You know, my job was amazing because of my coworkers. And there was that sense of community every time I got to go into the office and there were free snacks, free food, like a lot of perks. I wasn't expecting and I wasn't prepared for working alone at my dining table all day long and how tough that would be. How did you deal with that loneliness and what decisions did you make in your business to try to mitigate that? Well, while I was traveling, I would look for co-working spaces. They were a pretty new concept then. This was 2014. So I would look for co-working spaces. Like in Bali, I worked from this place called Hubud with an H. And um, it was kind of like a big tree house for adults. It was really amazing. And I wasn't the most social person or outgoing person, but just by being around other people who were working, 
that was a good energy for, for me to be around. Um, so yeah, I, I connected with people through co-working spaces. Some of them you can live and work in. So when you're living with people, you definitely get to know them as well. Um, and I just had to kind of adjust, to be honest, I had to adjust to being the sole person running this business, the sole person being the point of contact for clients. It took me a while before I eventually hired a team member to help me. But those first couple of years, it was just all on me. Let's talk a little bit about that, because I know that there are coaches listening right now that feel like nobody else can do their job better than they can. And they're not going to go and pay somebody who has not proven that they can think the way they do. Uh, they can still handle everything on their own. What what do they need to do or what, what were the things that helped you realize that, you know what, hiring somebody is really the right way to go? Yeah, I really had to look at what were my clients paying me for and what were the things that only I could do versus what's something that a skilled copywriter, for example, could do. And luckily, because I had worked on a marketing team in my day job, my prior day job, I had contacts of people who were graphic designers copywriters. Um, some were marketers like me. So I, I just tapped into my network of people who I'd already worked with and trusted. So in that mm -hmm. sense, it was less of a risk. It was less of a leap, but I made sure to hold on to the things that the clients needed me to do, like the client facing calls or the last reviews before the content went out to the clients. Um, I didn't want the clients to feel there was a drop in quality because I was hiring. And in fact, a lot of them didn't even know that I hired a copywriter to write their blog post instead of me because I was still heavily involved in the process. So um, that's how I, I, I dipped my toe into working with team members. And it was honestly the only way that I could scale beyond having five clients for me to get to seven and eight clients. I needed, I needed that support. And the other thing to consider is the numbers have to make sense, right? So you are going to be hiring someone and paying someone, which means some of your revenue will go to them, which means less profit for you. So by hiring someone and having them take things off your plate, ideally that frees up your time so that you can then take on more clients to uh, subsidize that revenue, but make even more of it than if you were to do it all on your own. So it is a bit of a, a math equation as well. Now that was more like agency model. You're still, you know, working, you know, hours for dollars, like do, still doing things for clients. At which point did you start to really scale this to say, okay, how can I work even less and like remove homework from myself? When did that start to shift? It shifted two years into me running my own business. So in 2016, I thought, wow, this is amazing that I have location independence, but I really want financial independence. And when I looked at my business's revenue, I was proud to see that I was making as much, if not a little bit more than my salary at my day job. So I think my day job was paying me something like 50,000 a year. And my business was making anywhere between 60 and 70,000 a year. And at that time it was just me, right? So whatever I made basically went to me personally. But I noticed that my business was just making the same amount. And I thought, you know, the glorious 100K, six figures a year, like, how do I get there? The, the answer I came up with was I need more clients. That was my business model, right? I need more clients in order to hit six figures. 
And so I decided in 2016 to not hide on Instagram anymore. Before that, I was using my account as a way to spy on my clients' competitors for whatever reason. So I wasn't publicly promoting my personal name or brand as someone who does marketing services. I was staying incognito with my account so that I could check out what my clients' competitors were doing. But in 2016, I thought, no, I'm going to grow my personal account for the first time ever as proof, as of portfolio piece to future clients. Like, hey, I did this for myself. I can do this for you. So the summer of 2016, I took all my travel photos, my stories, I started sharing them and posting them consistently. And that summer we, I collected over 30,000 followers, which was crazy. Mm -hmm. I didn't do it right though. I didn't collect any email addresses. I had no idea who was following me. I was purely doing it for the vanity metrics to show clients like, Hey, I, I can grow accounts. That was the vibe of 2016 and in Instagram marketing. And when I finally thought to myself, there's something here, like there's people following me. I don't think they want my agency's marketing services. They want something else. That's when the light went off and I realized, oh, there's probably someone who's been here, done this, done this already. Someone who I could work with, who could tell me what to do with this, AKA a coach. It didn't even cross my mind to hire a coach before that. So I, I literally went into a couple of business Facebook groups. I asked for coach recommendations. A couple of people recommended. I checked out their websites. I had a couple of calls and then I hired my first coach um, while I was working from Lisbon, Portugal. I remember taking the call there and I was so excited because this coach was going to help me start a personal brand. The coach could see that there was a second business opportunity separate from my agency. And so in our time together, I also knew I wanted to create a course. So the coach helped me um, launch my personal brand, elisedharma.com, host webinars for the first time, all for free, not even really pitching anything initially, because I just wanted to understand who was following me. And then eventually I pitched coaching services that were all about starting your freelance business. And then as I continued to engage with my community, I realized that, yes, some of them wanted to be a digital nomad like me, but a lot of them just wanted to grow on Instagram. That was the overwhelming feedback. And so that's what led to me creating my first digital course in 2017. And then that is when we hit over six figures in revenue. Now, it's been five years since then. What has, what has changed on Instagram, right? You were teaching back then like how to grow in 2016, 2017. How are those strategies different than what you would teach now? The strategies in 2016 were all about looking Instagram famous, having as many followers as possible, like having that popularity factor. In 2023, it's almost the exact opposite. Of course, people want to have followers and they want to have highly engaged posts, but I realized that for small business owners, their path to profitability on Instagram is different than someone who wants to be an influencer. Someone who wants to be an influencer to work with brands, for brands to sponsor them. Yeah, they need a lot of followers in or and they need a lot of engagement in order for it to be worth it to that to that brand, but for a small business owner like myself, I kind of dabbled in the influencer space initially, mm -hmm. you know, I would go to Bali and I would twirl in the rice fields and I wanted the pretty pictures, but I realized pretty quickly that I wasn't going to hit my 
revenue goals by working with brands, I was better off selling my own offers, my own coaching, my own products. So I switched gears. I stopped trying to look Instagram famous and I just focused on who was following me and figuring out how to help them. And I actually pivoted, right? Like when I grew my Instagram account, I was attracting a lot of people who wanted travel content. They wanted to see how I was working and traveling, but I wasn't attracting business owners. Mm -hmm. So it took a couple of years, I think from 2018 to 2019 is really when I pivoted to just be for small business owners who I was already familiar with. They were my clients from my agency, right? So I switched my messaging on Instagram to be less about how I was traveling or what I was up to. And I wanted to share more marketing tips for small business owners because I saw that they didn't need the followers. They just needed to be an active participant on Instagram and their customers were literally right there. So I'd say that my teaching and my philosophy started to change when I created my course in 2017, but I didn't really commit to being an Instagram educator until about 2018 and 2019. So this is something that I talk about all the time until like until everybody can hear that with a small audience, you can still have a business. You can still be profitable. And I want everybody to hear that from somebody else because I'm like, like, I'm not the only one saying this, especially from somebody like you who has 183,000 followers as of this recording. Uh, you have made a, a great business for yourself teaching about this stuff. And here you are saying, you know what? You can be profitable with a small audience. Anybody who's listening right now who has fewer than a thousand followers, what do you feel like they need to know so that they can switch their mind from, I need as, as many followers as possible to, no, I need to monetize the audience that I already have. What do they need to hear? Well, first of all, if you're a small business owner, remind yourself that you do not work for Instagram. You're not trying to become an influencer. You don't owe Instagram anything to use all their features all day long because Instagram wants to keep us busy, right? Instagram wants us to post a couple times a day, stories a couple times a day, answer every comment, answer every DM, go live, you know, add a guide, add a subscription. Instagram wants to keep us busy. But as a small business owner, remind yourself, you're not trying to be an influencer. So don't, don't learn from influencers. And also you don't work for Instagram, right? So you can focus your efforts in a different way where you're still showing up. You're just not spending three, four hours a day running your Instagram account um, in order to try to be as popular as, as you can. Because the other thing is, is that when you release that pressure to try to be an influencer or try to look Instagram famous, you start to appreciate the numbers that you do have more than feeling bad because you don't have 10,000 followers. So what I mean by that is, let's say you're a small business owner with, or a coach with 400 followers and you feel a little embarrassed. Like you have a friend who, who's got 2000 followers and you only have 400 followers, but when you release the pressure to just have followers for the sake of it, it's really freeing and it's a good reminder to actually picture what a room full of 400 people looks like. Go on to Google and just type in room of 400 people. Look how many people that is. You know, I, I, I gave a speech at Social Media Marketing World last spring and I was nervous about it for months. I was mm -hmm. nervous about it for months. I'd literally be falling asleep and then I'd wake up and be like, oh, I have to, 
I have to talk on stage. Like it would scare me. And then Mm -hmm. when I finally got to this stage, it made me laugh because there were about 400 people in the audience, which is daunting, right? You don't want to forget your lines or anything like that when you're speaking on stage. But the funny thing is, is that prior to speaking on stage, I had emailed my list of 70,000 people probably 30 times. I had posted to my Instagram account with over 100,000 people probably 90 times, right? I had these channels where I was speaking and reaching to thousands of people. And yet I was so afraid of speaking in person to 400 people. And that was a real lesson for me just to remind myself of what it's like to respect those quote, small numbers, 400 people is a ton of people. And most people would be nervous speaking in front of an audience that size. So keep that in mind. 400 people is a lot of people. If that's your following count, you're going to get more value out of trying to have a one-on-one connection with those 400 people than trying to gain 10,000 followers overnight. Breach. That's all. That's all everybody needs to know. So Lisa, this has been amazing. Can you please tell us What is the biggest misconception that people have of you as a successful businesswoman? The biggest misconception is that I am an extrovert and that my real name is Elise Dharma. So Elise Dharma is a, what I call a stage name. It's a characterized name of who I really am. Elise is actually my middle name and Mm -hmm. Dharma is a shortened version of my last name. And I don't know if I was intentionally you know, clear on why I was doing this. But when I launched my personal brand, I did create a persona for myself, the Elise Dharma persona. And it's actually been really freeing to separate who I am as a personal brand versus who I am as a real person. So I can go into Elise Dharma mode like I am right now, or when I'm filming YouTube videos or when I'm filming reels. And then when I leave this office, I can kind of go to who I am and and be who I am. And I'm not different, but there's certain aspects of my personality that I am bringing up to the surface more in this persona versus when I'm, you know, my first name is Brittany versus when I'm Brittany. (laughs) So um, I've found, I've found a way to show up online as an introvert and still have that clear separation between my business life and my, and my personal life. And I think that's, what's allowed me to do this for 10 plus years now. I think that is amazing. And that's something everybody can take with them. I have actually interviewed a bunch of people who have done the same thing. They've taken on that identity and it, it allows them to be that person. Um, so I love it that you said that. Thank you so much for sharing. And if anybody who's listening, had to do what you're about to tell them to do, and they have to do it in the next 24 hours, what would that one thing be? Yeah. So if you're someone who relates to me as a bit of a perfectionist, or you feel like the work that you put out there, the creative work, the Instagram posts has to be a hundred percent before it's ready. My message to you is something that I've had to learn myself in my twenties, my thirties, is this C plus is good enough. C plus is good enough because the time that you're going to take to tweak your content, to tweak your reel until you feel like it's an A plus piece of work, that's going to take you hours, right? Versus 
what impact that's going to actually have on the content that you put out there. Your followers, your people, they don't care about perfection. That is a concept from the 2000s that we can all leave behind. Instagram is no longer about being perfect. So I guarantee that you have drafts in your reels right now, or maybe on your TikTok that you haven't published, that you've filmed, but you're like, eh, need some work, or I want to do this again. It's good enough. C plus is good enough because your followers care more about the energy you're putting out there towards them, what you're saying, what value you're sharing, the, 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 the gem that you have to share versus you looking perfect or having the perfect edit, whatever, whatever's holding you back. So in the next 24 hours, I encourage you to post one of your drafts in your reels or just create something on the fly. Like next time you have that aha idea in the shower or wherever, pick up your phone, film it in your camera app and post it with the caption sticker. Simple, easy, done. See what happens. Your audience will feel that energy from you versus expecting you to be perfect. I love it. And I am going to go and post something for my drafts today. Thank you so much, Elise. So Elise, can you please tell us where we can find you if there's an action that people need to take on your content right now so they can learn more about what you have going on? Please share that now. Sure. Well, if you'd like some real ideas, if you need to get the ball rolling that actually are great for business owners, you can head to onvideo.co slash calendar and you'll get some free real ideas in a calendar format right then and there. Of course, I'd love for you to say hi on Instagram at Elise Dharma, D-A-R-M-A is my last name. And if you'd like to learn from me in terms of social media marketing, I've got a ton of tutorials and how to's over on my YouTube account. So again, you can just search Elise Dharma and you'll find my, my channel there. And we'll put all of those links below. Elise, thank you so much for being with us today. Can't wait to check out all of those resources. Really, it has been such a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Ina. Hey there, Ina here. After listening to this interview, you may be wondering what you missed. What did our guests share with me that was so hot I couldn't even put it in the mainstream version of this podcast? Become a TGP Insider today and get access to all of our uncut interviews, as well as access to the behind the scenes of my six-figure coaching business through my Instagram close friend stories. Head over to theglobalphenomenon.com insider or click on the link in the show notes for all the details. And I'll see you inside our Facebook community for online coaches, where you can share what's going on in your business and connect with other amazing coaches in this space. Go to theglobalphenomenon.com slash Facebook or click on the link in the show notes. And I'll see you on the next one.